Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's read these verses. We'll get as far as we can today and then pick up where we need to leave off. And I, I, I trust, I think all of you know me well enough that where we leave a little bit shorter time for the preaching of God's Word, we always make up for that later. And I promise you we'll do that. Uh, but we'll get as far as we can. In relationship to what I said before, uh, how does wisdom respond to human government? And particularly the inadequacies, the injustices, the inequities, however you want to say it. How would God have each of you, us as a church family, respond to those aspects, sometimes the darker aspects of human government? Let's read these 14 verses, and then we'll break up these 14 verses into three simple sections, and then we'll head back and and figure out how uh, the Lord would have us Endure well by his grace. Verse 1 says, Who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Now, a lot of people believe that that particular phrase or verse is attached to verse 29 of chapter 7. I'll allow you to um, discern that for yourself, but nonetheless, we'll continue on into verse number 2. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind, or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility." Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will not be well for those who fear God. It will be well for those who fear God, who fear Him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man And he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. There is a futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And on the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. That's our immediate context for how wisdom handles the unfairness 
of our lives as we exist under the realm of human government. We're going to take this week and the next time we're together, together to go through those 14 verses. But before we get down into, as we've said before, the tall weeds of verses 1 to 14, I want to remember verse 15. Let's look at verse 15, and let's remember, for those of you that have been here through our whole study, that verse 15 is the formal closure of the third section of the book of Ecclesiastes. And remember, throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, we're wrestling our minds to remember what's in verse 15. As we go through the taller weeds, there's a glorious reality that all of us are to live and to determine to live. It says in verse 15, again, which is the formal closure of the third section of the book of Ecclesiastes, so I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be married. And this will stand by him even during his toils throughout the whole days of his life, which God has gifted him or given him under the sun. And since I know that there's absolutely no governmental turmoil and there's no governmental noise in the United States of America right now, we know there is, right? But wisdom would have us block out the noise and focus on verse 15. Never let the noise of the inadequacy or the inequity of human government distract you from living joyfully as a Christian. In other words, don't become sour like many of them are sour. There are so many things that God gives to us like every day to enjoy. Food, clothing, shelter, need I remind you of more. The degree of health which allows you to even be here this morning when many can't. Your spouse, maybe, your family, your Christian friends, your job, all the things that your job provides, the opportunity for vacation, the opportunity for various forms of pleasure outlined in Scripture. This is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that we be found a thankful people. In other words, we need to be remembered as a thankful people. While there's noise, and there's always going to be perpetual noise in any form of human government, we wrestle our hearts and minds back to verse 15. I want to let you know, that's a daily task for me. Sometimes that's an hour-by-hour task for me. And some seasons of life more than others. But we have to, and we have to help each other do that. So again, we have discovered how wisdom addresses inadequacies and injustices in the financial community, relationships secondly to the character of man, and now human government. Genesis 9-6, if you want to write that at the margin of your Bible, whether you can do it digitally or with ink from a pen, Genesis 9-6 is a great verse to put right next to chapter 8. God establishes human government. God establishes human government. I really enjoyed my eighth grade government class. Really enjoyed it. I remember a lot from that class and my really good teacher in that class. 
This is what he taught us in relationship to human government as to the various forms of government in human history. I'm going to go through these simply because it's going to have a direct application to our context this morning. Well, the Bible talks about a theocracy, right? That's rule by God, right? Rule by God. There's monarchy. There's rule by one. Rule by one, often one appointed through birth. My government teacher told me there's aristocracy. This is a human government form where the power is held by nobility and high class or upper class, upper crest family, if you will. Again, also appointed by birth. I always like this one because it bears my name. He taught us about a democracy. <laughs> well, I'll never fit this one because this form of government, you're allowed to rule based on how much property you own. Right? He taught us about an oligarchy. This is a small group of people that have the authority over a country or a larger group of people. He taught us that there was a democracy. This is a system of government by the whole population or all eligible members of a state. He also taught us in eighth grade government that our country is not a democracy, but a constitutional republic where individuals have the exclusive right and authority placed upon ourselves by our constitutions by our Constitution, whose leaders represent the desires of the people. And he also talked about tyranny. This is the rule of the unjust, or the cruel, or oppressive, typically rule by one, a despot, in various forms of other kinds of government. That's what we learn. These forms of government generate leaders through their natural birth, some type of appointment or some through an electoral process. But I also want you to write down several other passages here in the New Testament that help you understand what the Bible says about human government and our responsibility to it. All right? And by the way, this is all introduction up to the text. I want you to write down Romans 13, 1 to 7, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. Romans 13, 1 to 7, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 18. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Romans 13, 1 to 7, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 18, Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Living underneath the Roman Empire, that form of human government during Jesus' time, the Lord Jesus, our Savior, even found his way to live wisely under the government in which his father, in his father's timing, had placed him. I'm thinking of Galatians 4, right? 4 and 5. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At the exact time that God wanted Jesus to appear on the earth, there was a form of human government that was in existence, and Jesus found his way to exist the most wise most wisely, even under that form. 
A really favorite author of mine says that there's a handful of responsibilities that all of us can take ownership of in relationship to living wisely underneath human government, regardless of the form that in which you were reared, because we have folks here from different countries this morning, and there's different forms of government from the different countries from which you hail, existed right here among us. So these are axioms of Christian existence. They're pillars, if you will underpinnings of human existence regardless of the kind of human government in which you exist. We need to understand from John 19, 11, from Jesus' words himself, first of all, that every government is in place by God's hand. Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And that should settle our hearts, not stir our hearts. Okay? Romans 13, 1, in the second part of that verse says, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Number two, God uses even sinful governments to do his will. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. Please read that on your own time. That God was even going to use sinful governments to help bring his own people back to where they need to be. Remember, God is not bound by time. God's not bound at all. He is eternal. (laughs) He has no beginning. He has no ending. So he superintends all of this according to the counsel of his own will. And the judge of all the earth always does right, the Bible says. So he can even use sinful governments to do his will. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Luke records, truly in this city, they were gathered together against our holy servant Jesus, whom you, God, anointed, both Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's got this, even if he uses sinful governments in the orchestration of his universal decrees to be brought to fruition. Number three, the Bible tells us that we ought to pray for anyone who is appointed by the authority of the people or those who have been given their position through birth. Again, whatever form of government, God's asked us to pray. And I hope you do. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 are very, very clear. The Apostle Paul uses five different synonyms for prayer to emphasize the, the, the tremendous need that our leaders need our prayers. Why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. You know what the text says? And so, because God's not even willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Those leaders, right? We want them to know Jesus, right? So I hope you pray. The Bible says that we should honor and follow those who govern us, regardless of your form of government. Mark chapter 12 and verse 17, even Jesus said, and again, in his own context, in the Roman Empire, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And the text says, and they marveled at him. (laughs) 
And I kind of still do too, because he's the creator of the king who's the ungodly despot ruling over our king, Jesus. And he says, I'm still going to submit myself to the ungodly and just trust me. And they marveled at him. That's something to be marveled about. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, talks about let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority, again, except from God. 1 Peter chapter 2, we already said earlier, verses 13 to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or as to governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good and so forth and so on. And the fifth and final truth that we need to recall here in relationship to human government is simply this. All human governments will eventually end and Jesus will reign over all. Amen. Right? And that's what we look forward to, right? Amen. King Jesus is our divine despot. Nothing tyrannical there. For he's the prince of peace. <laughs> right? Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. The child is born and a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. (laughs) And by the way, that time could be seven years from today if the Lord returns today. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will do this. That comes coming. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, and verses 15 to 16, you can write down there as well in support of that fifth and final overarching principle in relationship to human government. So part of what we've seen today by way of introduction regarding human government is highlighted in Solomon's words of wisdom here in chapter 8, verses 1 to 14. And remember, though, as we go along for the rest of the few minutes we have today and the next time we're together, that this portion of wisdom application is regard to holding to what God desires while we endure through inequalities or injustices that we will inevitably encounter in our relationship with human government. Also, I might add that the wisdom offered here is more about, and and this might bring heartburn to some, but I don't want it to. I want the word of God to bring peace to you, spiritual tums to you. (laughs) The wisdom offered here is much more about disposition and lifestyle than it is about position and conviction. We've always tried to emphasize the phrase, draw the circle around yourself to emphasize taking personal responsibility for your own person. And this morning, I believe the authority of God's word would have us take ownership of our own spirit-filled disposition, regardless, again, again, of the, of the kind of or the genre of human government in which we exist under, because multiple countries are represented here this morning. There's a dispositional way 
that God would have us act. And this is what Solomon would emphasize. So this morning, it's not my desire to immediately look in front of me, behind me, around me, to learn anything of disposition first of others, but to learn it from the Lord, learn it from his word, and the ministry of the Spirit of God in my own heart in relationship to how Tim Potter is supposed to live and act and exist and mentor in Lake County, in the state of Ohio, and in the United States of America. Because I am personally under the authority of those God-appointed folks. It doesn't matter whether the people have the authority or not. Even God has the authority over the people who put those people in place. I've got a responsibility. I know for a fact those are, some of you are here from countries where there's never going to be an opportunity for you to choose who your leader is. Joseph of Egypt didn't. Right? David didn't. As he had to exist under the tyranny of King Saul. As he had to sit across the room from him and play his harp and just beg God that Saul would not pick up his spear and run him through. Daniel and his three friends, the tyrannical leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, they had a choice to make. Their disposition was sound. Chapter 1 tells us quite attractive, actually, to the point of being appointed to leadership underneath that tyranny. And, and wow, that same people threw them into a fiery furnace. And yet they chose not to be activists. There's a disposition. Do you remember Nehemiah? Another godly man existing underneath the tyranny of a global leader? Back then there's empires, not so many countries. <laughs> and Nehemiah, right? Does he have a quality disposition? He exists in the court of the king. He's, he's the guy that tests the food coming out of the king's kitchen to make sure that there was no chef in the king's kitchen that would poison the food. So here's a dude willing to give us up his own life for a tyrannical pagan king as a godly man. Hmm, sounds like an activist to me, doesn't it? It's interesting, folks. And I only give you those biblical examples because certainly our form of government is really the youngest form of government in human history, the one we live under. And I would call our form of government, the constitutional republic, probably the greatest form of human government God's ever allowed to come to existence. Amen. And you folks are the benefactors of that. But we're not even 300 years old yet. We are a blip in the radar of human history. The bulk of Christians throughout human history have had to exist under much more duress than we. Okay? So, 
gather a perspective and if these sweet saints of Christian history can exist with proper disposition under tyranny and the threat of their life, that I'm certain that we can here in the good old U.S. of A. Okay? So here's three divine wisdom truths for us to function under as we persevere under any form of human government. First of all, wisdom would have us live peacefully. Wisdom would have us live peacefully. Wisdom would have us live righteously. Righteously. And we'll find here in this text that wisdom would have us live justly. Justly. We're certainly not even going to begin to scrape the surface of these three responsibilities that we have from heaven, but we'll start, and we have about three minutes to introduce the first point. Wisdom would have us live peacefully under human government. We've already looked at Romans and Timothy and Titus in relationship to our responsibility of living with peace and praying for peace. The Bible says that if a human government that God sets up would live by certain virtues, that they probably would rule peacefully, even though they didn't know him. So peace is certainly a goal that God would have for any government, and to live in peace would be certainly a goal that God would have for any form of human government for its constituents. But we are commanded to live peacefully. The wisdom scenario that we've already read that Solomon shares with us here and the first few verses is quite instructive. At first reading, the simple conclusion could be made that obeying authority in any government system allowed by God is required by any believer. That's easy to see here. And under further investigation, there's actually a scenario given in these verses that offers a reasonable and peaceful way in which a wise person can act even if they don't agree with authority that's over them. One man said a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. <laughs> it's the wisdom of Solomon that we read right here, right? It's not wise to show one's disapproval or disagreement with a despotic monarch. Let me tell you what's happening here in the first couple of verses. This text is really not talking about anyone in the room here unless you are under the direct employ of a governmental leader. The immediate context here, the scenario that Solomon's going to give us is what happens for someone that actually gets their paycheck from someone in governmental leadership. So I think there's a handful of people here this morning that would say, yes, I work for someone in Mentor, Lake County, maybe state, maybe even federal government. I get their pay, my ch paycheck for them. This text is directly talking about you because that's the scenario given here. But since all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction, what are we to learn from the disposition of the pursuit of peace from this government employee Solomon's discussing in Ecclesiastes chapter 8? There's a lot to learn here, and we're going to rightly divide that word of truth next time we're together. All right? Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for all of the spiritual blessings of this morning, from song to fellowship to dedication to thanksgiving to singing collectively, individually, in the hearing of your word. And I pray, Lord, all of us would have grown in Christ's likeness as a result. As we move forward, Lord, in relationship to wisdom's address to any form of human government, as far as the dispositional lifestyle of any believer, help us, Lord, to continue as these folks have already, to understand what it means to have a sweet and teachable spirit as we move through even these verses. Even in light of all the noise that's in our own country right now, it's political in nature. Help us, Lord, to block out the noise, continue to live wisely, and pursue peace. We'll investigate next time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.